wait, do I sound better this way? Or this way? The first was louder, although the second sounded more intimate. Hi, I'm Chris. <laughs> I'll be taking care of you tonight. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hey, you two. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Okay. Yeah, I'm good. I'm very good. What's going on? What's new? I am a vaccinated person. Congratulations. Congratulations. Jason, so you're the only one not coming to our parties? That's right. Yeah, we're That's having an right. all night rave. Uh, I'm gonna cough a, on you two through Zoom. Yeah, we're having an all night rave with a kissing booth, and we're gonna share lollipops. So that's where we're at as vaccinated. I gotta tell you, even if I was vaccinated, I would probably skip that party. <laughs> how how was the experience for you? Almost good. I mean, I'm the Johnson and Johnson girl, so it was one shot, and I'm done. And that's it. Um, you never have to go back. I had a it stung a little bit going in and have had no side effects. Really? None. None. Oh, congratulations. I know you all. um, Yeah, I just had had a little bit. Mm -hmm. It was just a little bit. It wasn't it wasn't anything bad. Can I just say really quickly? What? I don't know. I'm going to listen to this and see. Maybe I'll cut it out. I okay. I know someone Mm -hmm. who. (laughs) <laughs> stop i know is someone like, is this like trump's everyone is saying no no I'm not hearing, everyone is saying i'm, I'm thinking, hearing i'm thinking of one some person. people call it treason i don't know <laughs> no i know someone who says they're not getting the vaccine they won't sure. touch it and i was I like know plenty of people who are saying that i was like why and they were like well they can't cure aids and cancer but they got this rolled out in a month or, or in a year and I was like, well, that's because coronaviruses exist and we already have vaccines for them. So they were 60% of the way done when they started. Right. Uh, and AIDS and cancer are really different than this sort of thing. And they're like, yeah, but I don't care. So then I was like, so <laughs> this has nothing to do with science. You just believe that it's going to be bad for you. So anyway, yeah, I just... I have a little bit less respect for this person now. And I, I don't know what to do with that. Can I tell you though? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pro vaccine. Listen, I mean, I, obviously I'm pro vaccine as much as probably anyone can be pro vaccine because when I want to go to another country and they tell me to stick stuff up my arm, I don't even ask what it is. I'm like, sure. Stick it in here. I don't care. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to draw a line. Uh, I'm going to distance myself from Trisha's comments. I mean, you can, but I mean, you know, like I've been in, I've been to other countries where you had to get a visa and you had to get, make sure you had all the other stuff from malaria and all the mm-hmm. kinds of things. So I didn't even really think that seriously about it, but I will say that I was sitting there waiting for it. And I was nervous. Like I was like, all of the disinformation talk has really penetrated me, my consciousness enough that I was sitting here going, cause the week, I mean, five weeks ago, I got the flu vaccine and didn't think anything of it, but sitting down for this vaccine. Yeah. Right. It's been made, it's been so tainted. Um, and even if you are the most enthusiastic person, I just can't imagine that you weren't a little bit trepidatious on some level. Like as much as you respect it, as much as you're into it, I really was. I was like a little bit like, you know, oh. get about that though, Tricia, is 
my thing is like, what's the downside? Like I can understand people who are like, how could this be effective? And, and I can understand initially safety concerns, but now that like, you know, millions and millions and millions of people around the world have gotten these vaccines. And, you know, there's this one thing about AstraZeneca, which we don't even have here, but like, I, what, I don't, what's the concern? Like, I don't know what people are concerned about. I don't think about. it's a, con- it's, I think, I it's, don't the think con- it's based rationally. As I said about this yeah. person in my life, like when I was like, well, the science, first of all, you are vaccinated. You've gotten all sorts of vaccines. That's why we are right. sitting here now. <laughs> so like, I mean, not for nothing, but it's not about science or rational thought. It's just people's, like Trisha's saying, you know, it's very people are saying that they'll turn you to a lizard person and that has penetrated people's consciousness to the point where they just feel negative about it, even if they can't explain why anymore. And I'm one of those people that I don't push anyone to get the vaccine. I simply let them know what the consequences are, which is that I won't be hanging out with you once yeah. we move through this moment. Yeah, also you could um, die, so. No, I mean, I just won't, you know, but I, I'm, I'm really sensitive to folks who worry about being exploited in some way but the only way I walk I talk myself around that is like everyone has to have it like it's not right. one of those things where it's racialized in the sense right. that they're only giving it to black people you know I mean listen we know what those things mean so this time around I'm like it is essential that we all have it mm-hmm. I think they've done as much as they can in terms of safety protocol um, it's not a situation where you feel like um, certain groups are going to be exploited over others. It just doesn't right. feel like that. And you know what? Rich people are pushing black people out of the that's, line. That's the thing. It's like people are get it. cheating and that to get this you thing. Right away, you should get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if people are cheating to get it, it has value. It, it It's really valuable. Yep. So that's kind of the signal that I think um, we, that those are the kind of interpretive signals that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this vaccine is probably liquid gold. I should have it. I, you know, I, all of this, and I can't underscore this enough. You've already been vaccinated. We've all already been vaccinated. The fact that we don't oh, yeah, have polio, sure. measles, mumps, rubella, like all sorts of things means that we were a-okay getting shot up with shit. I, I don't know what it will take, but good luck. Good luck, unvaccinated people or vaccine deniers. Like just well, good you luck. know, I think people will do it though. I have a feeling that well, we're entering as- a new age that if you do not get we're entering the age of pandemics. So if you are if this is where you're at in 2021, God help you in 2031, because this is the first, this is the vanguard of a few more. Well, and can I just say one more thing about that? Like to your point about like we're all vaccinated. I'm amazed, like as a country, we are so comfortable with elective surgery, with like people, ta- you know, doctors taking knives and cutting us up. And I'm not judging people. I'm just saying like, people are com- comfortable with that, which like ostensibly on the surface, someone's cut- you know, cutting into you, like there is going to be damage. I'm not saying it's not worth it or anything. And that, but then to then say, but I'm not gonna get a little shot in my arm that we have a ton of evidence is like only gonna benefit you. I, I don't get it. You know what, like talking about elective surgery, I always think of circumcision as elective surgery and you talk to parents about why they want to do it. The ones that don't have like religious, like they're not like, or, like Jewish or anything. They just like, you explain all the health benefits. You explain the fact that this is surgery in a baby and they're still like, yeah, but I still, I'm still really concerned about what my son's penis is going to look like. And it, it's, it's not rational. Yeah. It's just not. And it, it sort of falls in that thing with, so people will look at things like circumcision and be like, well, I just, it makes me feel good. And people are like, well, the idea of getting the vaccine makes me feel bad. So I don't want to do it. Like, you know, it reminds me of a conversation we had years ago on this podcast about the sorry state of science education. And I think this is, really, this is that come home to roost. 
I think it's the, That's for sure. the social imagination just can't handle the idea that, oh, vaccines are what makes you going out in public and not like catching the plague possible. So, yeah, I mean, good luck, America. But uh <laughs> I mean, but actually good luck to all of us because that's the one thing about these things, right? It's like, we're not, it's not in isolation. No, that's true. So Jason, good luck to you. Uh, (laughs) At least me and Trisha won't be hospitalized, but you could still drop dead from this thing. Thank you. You're welcome. What kind of framing is that? (laughs) No, I I don't And I'm just not, I haven't gotten to my spot in line. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not against it. He's not refusing to do it. He's just saying that he hasn't gotten there yet. Jason, I hope your spot in line comes up eventually. If you were in Jersey, you could just say that you were a smoker. You know, those people are jumping to the front of the line. My colleagues in Jersey and Pennsylvania, I have like people in their 20s that are finding ways to the vaccine. And here in Montgomery County, if you're like in Montgomery County, Maryland, if you're like under 75, they're like, no, like you will not get in line. Wow. Meanwhile, Jersey's like, just you you get to the front of the line, they hand you a cigarette. If you can get through the whole thing, you get the shot. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so we are going to jump into topics. Sharon Osborne on the morning show, The Talk, and she <laughs> she had a moment with her co-host where she was defending Pierce Morgan, who has been making his career lately out of just bad-mouthing Meghan Markle, a singular woman in the world who he has taken issue with. You know, Pierce Morgan has been accused of being racist, and Sharon Osborne appeared to be defending him. Her mm-hmm. black co-host kind of called her out on that. And Sharon Osborne lost her mind um, <laughs> all over her. You can see it on YouTube. It, it just got me thinking, and I want to be clear about this. I don't know. I don't think I care about Sharon Osborne or what she believes personally, et cetera, et cetera. But it got me thinking about what is about cancel culture and where we are with sort of relics of the past as they come up. And what do we do with them in this moment? How do we dispose of them? Uh, Dr. Seuss, recently the Dr. Seuss company has pulled some of their books because they just felt like some of those stories and some of the depictions just don't match the moment. So they decided to self-censor. But in the rest of our media, like Sharon Osborne is not a contemporary person. She's a 70-year-old woman. Her ideas are dated. What do we do with this this sort of thing? Like, what does it mean to have her canceled? What does it mean to hold her accountable? I'm just... I'm just kind of stymied by this whole thing. A lot of people want to fire her. And I find myself feeling very neutral about it. I just wanted to know what you two thought about this. I want to start by saying, I just, I hate the term cancel culture. Yeah. I, everyone I just, does. It's yeah, the everyone dumbest does. thing ever. It's just okay. accountability. I, and I feel like we've had some conversations like this before. I, I feel pretty strongly no one is entitled to my attention, except for the people directly in my life, right? Like my kids. Mm -hmm. So if I choose to stop attending to anyone or we choose collectively to stop attending to anyone, like, I just don't know why that is like the end of the world and how dare we and all of that. Like, Like, I just don't see the big deal. Yeah, people can be fired for saying certain things. We can decide as a group of people, we don't wanna pay attention to someone anymore. I, I don't. I, I, kind of, I feel the same way you do, Chris. Like, I don't have super strong feelings about Sharon Osbourne. I don't really care whether she's on the talk or not. But I feel like she gets fired. Like, that's a network's decision. That's fine. If people want to stop listening to her, I will say, I think what I've read Pierce 
Morgan say about Meghan Markle is just despicable. It's despicable if we take away the race lens and then you put the race lens in, it's even more despicable. And I think it's therefore despicable that Sharon Osbourne would defend him. But but in terms of the larger question, like I'm fine with us just saying there are certain people we're not going to pay attention to anymore. Like that, that should be perfectly fine. We're not saying she should be, you know, strung up and publicly executed. Yeah, I think that's what people are doing. I think that's not people. I think that's what's happening is there's like a conflation between the natural consequences of your employer deciding that they don't like how you go about your business um, and what they don't like your work product. Like yeah, and how you're going to impact their brand, which is their other employees. And like, if you just think about entertainment in that way, right? I mean, I think people are nervous because the first thing I start hearing is McCarthyism. Well, that's actually government action. Government silencing their citizens is very different than a business silencing an employer, Yep, which is not the same as what happened with Colin Kaepernick, by the way, because I know that everyone's going to blend those all together. Why can why is Colin Kaepernick um, above you know above reproach? I think what we are talking about are brands making decisions about what fits into contemporary culture. And I guess what I'm trying to figure out is how do we manage change? This is what this is. This is change management, right? It's like when you know better, you do better. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like I just feel like these are just kind of opportunities for folks who are doing what they're doing to revisit and say to themselves, you know what? The culture has changed. We've moved on. This is not a reflection of our values anymore. And we think that you, we don't want to be associated with you anymore. And I'm sorry, goodbye. Like I, 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 that's my sense of how these things really should play out. Like I, I don't see any sort of canceling of her. She doesn't lose the opportunity to go on another show. She's not banned for life. So that's been my experience of it. But I think the larger question is like, what happens when, when time moves on and you haven't? Yeah. And the thing I would add, and I, I'll admit I'm kind of speculating here, but I feel like some of what you hear when people have negative reactions to, you know, brands deciding not to utilize someone anymore, it's almost like, um, I don't know, it like activates, it like triggers this fear of like, oh, well, if they can be fired mm-hmm. from that, I could be fired for, you know, this. And I just, I agree. I think that's what it is. And it's it's an unfortunate little psychological thing. I mean, I think about when we talked about Brett Kavanaugh, right? And Mm -hmm. it was like, oh my God, well, if someone, you know, if he can be accused of that and not get to be a Supreme Court justice, what if I get accused of something like I lose my, you know, nine to five day job? I'm just like, that is a false equivalence. Like we should, if Sharon Osbourne gets fired from this television station, from this show, I, I feel like that has absolutely nothing to do with what may happen to me because my job is is just completely a different set of circumstances i don't have access to the wealth or the audience that someone like that has but it seems like people get this again louis ck i feel like people like oh what if you know they don't let them do shows anymore like i just it's not an equivalence it's like a totally different thing we have this conversation a lot when it comes to cancel culture well whatever we're going to call that it's just accountability you know, if you say something, there will be consequences. The entitlement that some people have around their platforms and their access and their audience is really what cancel culture is about. It's the same thing in the 80s and 90s when we talked about political correctness and conservatives would get like, oh, political correctness. When you just really break down political correctness, it's like treating people in a way that that they want to be treated, using words that people uh, want to be used about them. 
And so you being against that just means that you want leave to be an asshole and to be nasty. Again, I can't reiterate this enough. I don't care about Sharon Osbourne. I don't know her. Like we talked about with Harry and Megan and Oprah, like, you know, these are stories that we're told. Like we, we don't know these people. Uh, I'm not interested if she's a racist or not. I don't, I, I can assume that she is, but even that doesn't affect me really. It's not about Sharon Osbourne. It is about the platform. It is about the show. It's about the media. We can talk about Roseanne and how swiftly she was fired from her show because ABC just didn't want to be associated with the stink of that. And I think that's a really strong message about ABC's branding. If she's not fired from this show, I just don't know what to take away from that. I mean, I will just never watch the talk again. Full disclosure. I was about to say, I was about to say, I never have watched it. (laughs) Never watched the talk. You know what? I mean, can we also acknowledge though, that it's really just about what become what comes to light, because Roseanne Barr was racist before her. she got the, the second. I'm sure Sharon right. Osbourne has been racist before there, this. Or oh, has some said, allegation saying that she I mean, has not know. some or has said or has Quite said lots of things. Yeah. So I think what really because I think this is the thing too because I think part of it is sometimes people will say, well, this is the brand is being hypocritical because this was who this person was all along. And this is when I say, well, yes, but now you've said it in a public space. That's and the thing. On, it's not about the person. On the platform. It's about, <laughs> yeah, it's about the platform. It's not so much the message. It's the messaging and the platform. Like, what is that? What do you do with that? I don't care what you do with Sharon Osbourne. Fire her, arrest her. But what does the talk do? What is, what is it, CBS? What does CBS do around this? That's, that's wait, what wait, interests wait. me. There's a, wait, there's a lot of I don't cares here. So then what is the thing that is, triggering is is triggering in what, this space what what is i find really triggering is that yeah what i what i mean by i don't care is that again i'm never going to meet sharon osborne i'm not interested in her opinions right but what i am interested in is her reach and the platform that she has because she can get on tv and scold her black coworker uh in front of america you know demand that she be treated like a victim in a conversation about racism against black people, hold the space, demand that she be the one allowed to cry because she's the aggrieved party, et cetera, et cetera. And as always, media is very instructive. That message being let out, I think is really damaging. And I, I would like something to be done about that. But then it's like, should she be fired? I'm like, well, is that the point? I mean, cause like you said, she's been racist for a long time. And the things that she said and her daughter have said, we've known this for years. I want to I want to hold someone accountable, but I don't I don't care enough that it's Sharon Osbourne. I feel like the people who gave her this access to be this messy. I mean, that's the real piece. I mean, for me, it's like, what was why did you think that this was an appropriate person in the first place, really? Because she never had any value. I mean, for me, she wasn't a thoughtful person. She had a checkered past. And so that was enough to get like a ding, I guess, from folks. But I mean, for me, the question is like, how do you want to continue to engage in these conversations? And what do you want to say? I'm always a little bit nervous about the kind of reflexive, like, oh, we're going to fire her as if that yeah, was like the thing. That's like, I was like, problem. what if, can you tell me why you're firing her? Because that's also the problem for me is like the person gets fired, but we haven't actually made a decision about what we're firing them for. And therefore the consequences gets lost for me. Cause I'm always like, what do you, what do you, are you upset that we're upset? Do you know why you're firing her? Like, are you sure that you wouldn't get yourself back in this space again with another host? Like, like I just, I'm, I'm confused often about it. And so I never, 
Like I'm fine if she gets fired, but I just don't ever feel like that's enough. It feels like a wash because it feels like this person is taking the fall for something that the brand fully embraced from the beginning. Well, I look, I think that's right. A TV network's going to fire someone when they're worried that the cost of keeping them outweighs the benefit. Like it's, <laughs> that's the it's only not going to be a values-based decision. It's just not. And so, I, I mean, I agree with what you're both saying, but I, I will admit part of me is kind of, yes, shame on the network for having her, but shame on all people who watch the show with her on it. Like if no one watched it, they wouldn't have her <laughs> Damn, on it. Jason. <laughs> Now Jay holding everyone accountable. How dare you say that I can't have a silly person on my TV channel? What I'm not you saying you me? can't. I'm saying if people think she's despicable, then vote with your feet and she, don't watch the damn show. But you know what? They didn't think she was despicable. And that's the thing, right? I mean, I think that's also the question. This is the question that I'm- Who's they? He's talking about the audience. Who? Are you, who's they? I'm talking about the audience. The audience oh. didn't find her despicable. Right. Like you clearly you're putting her. No, you're putting her in a talk show. You've done the you've you've you know, you've done the sort of behind the scenes research, how how she's doing focus groups tell you that she's like a lovable racist. No, you're like maybe like. a Yeah, right. She was probably like an Archie Bunker, but for ladies. I mean, that's the question. Right. Like, I think we had an appetite for a certain kind of abuse across lots of different um, spaces. Right. We have like, yes. And that's what this is about. This is this person getting caught between the cultural moment, right? Because we had an appetite for a slightly homophobic person, uh, a appetite for, you know, lots of different things that I think the culture is signaling that they're like not a lot of tolerance for that anymore. I, for one, I'm sort of, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with those kind of signaling. I think it's okay because I think about the person who is being marginalized or abused. And if that person is made to feel safer, that's my values. And so I'm okay with the choices that get made in that way. But I think for some people, that's really scary. It's really scary to to close certain doors. I just wish we had better controls around this sort of, um, this change process. Uh, what, I don't know what that look like. <laughs> I don't know, but like you said, like our our tastes change. Like you look at our reality, our competition elimination reality shows in the early aughts. You know, you look at American Idol, which is a product that still exists. Uh, surprise. Um, <laughs> just Simon Cowell, like that brand of meanness, was very much in vogue. It's uh, in the early two thousands, but we kind of grew out of it, and he grew out of it, and he changed his whole character to meet the moment. Parts of me feel like I want someone to be in control of that process and I want them to be thoughtful. I guess that's what I'm saying. You, Like you said, like, you know, we might enjoy a slightly homophobic host. Well, it's like Gwen Stefani's husband on The Voice. What like, about him? What about him? He, every third thing him. out of his, no. every third thing out of his mouth on that <laughs> show at a certain point was like a homophobic jab at, um, what's his name? The lead singer of Maroon 5. And it's like they had this whole back and forth. That's thing. their thing, right? That's a that's thing, their a thing, thing. But you know what? It turns me off to the point where I can't watch The Voice because mm-hmm. I just don't feel respected. And watch these two straight guys go back and forth and make thinly veiled gay jokes. Now, at some point, I feel like it's going to tip and we can't have that anymore. So what do we do with The Voice? Not Blake Shelton. What do we do with The Voice? Because like you then said- you have, Then you have different hosts and then you move on. I mean, this is the thing, but, right? But it's the, the voice is, you hold accountable because Blake Shelton, like I said, I don't care about him individually. Well, that's either. what I'm saying. Like the thing is the brand stays the same, right? If the moment changes, then you recognize the moment is changing and you opt out. You exit stage left 
and you come and you create something else. Like that's the part for me that feels really weird is that we we don't want to admit that we, and I don't want to say evolve or process progress, progress, because I don't want to assume that we're always moving forward. But yeah, I'm just saying that things change. Things change. What felt comfortable last week doesn't feel comfortable this week. And I think what's, I'm hopeful that what's not going to feel comfortable in like five years are like casual transphobia, right? Like all of those kinds of things that like we have all have to learn and get comfortable with. Maybe what we're saying is that some of these places are behind the time sometimes. It's the, the loop doesn't catch up. Maybe that's what we're, maybe that's what we're having. And we don't have um, an environment to talk about that. And then what ends up happening is this kind of weird cycle of blame. And so we don't actually process what's really going on, right? Like, I think that's what's happened. It's like, we don't process change very well culturally. There's no space for us to talk about it, maybe. I don't know. You know, what's interesting, what you're making me think of is is like, I've, I talked about this a while back, like, so Cobra Kai is this, you know, I think a great series and it recognizes the problems with the Karate Kid franchise and really does kind of update. Um, Mm. It it approaches it very differently. And even my anti-recommendation from the last one, even coming to America, the new (laughs) movie um, does a little bit of that with, with the old movie. It still has some problems, but, but the interesting there is in both of those cases, the franchise kind of turned off for a couple mm-hmm. decades right mm-hmm. and then turn yes. back on and then it's like this is a refresh and like it, you've had that distance to say like wow like we don't we don't laugh at that anymore like we don't nope. <laughs> we, we don't accept characters like that anymore but the the things we're talking about the talk and and uh the voice and 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 american idol like these are things that it, it's probably harder because like they're coming on every day or every week over a period of time and like how do they go through that that metamorphosis mm. I think that's what it is. I think that's very much it because it's every day. It's everyday TV. Yeah. And you have to figure out that signal. You know, there's a moment when Kathleen Gifford just didn't make any sense anymore. Well, that's, that is absolutely true. It's interesting because I feel like, I I feel like this has happened a little bit in the Trump administration, but these sorts of things should in this media environment lead to a bifurcation of media. It's already started there with like parlor and all these other conservative social networks like Mm -hmm. Sharon Osbourne. She'll go there. She, yeah, she should be able to be on a talk show where like four old white women sit around and just say the most terrible things. Why, wait, 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 wait. Why are we giving her permission to do that? I don't even you know what say. I'm saying is because people, people will give her permission to do that. We don't, don't have to give her permission it, to do it. Oh, I don't need it. But you know what? Some people out there do. That's why she's on the show in the first place. I, I can't, I'm so bad. I'm so mad about that, but I get it. I you get it. I mean? because oh, I'm so... mad about it too, but. We're so like a values. We, we're so, we, we hate, we like, we really want to be completely without values. And as we um, under evaluate these things, like, it's just, it's really tricky. I was thinking about it because I heard someone say, I heard a commercial advertising how if your product, um, if your product took women into consideration, it would sell. And I was thinking to myself, we absolutely have to make that case. Like we can't say your product should just take women into consideration. We literally have to say that your financial outcome will be better. It's definitely a benefit. And the benefit isn't that you're a human being. The benefit is that you'll get rich. You know, it's kind of like how we had to defend music. Like, oh no, it improves your math skills. And that's why music is good. (laughs) Want your kid to be smart, then they should learn music. But doesn't music have value? Well, we didn't have time to look into that. <laughs> <laughs> I really hate it. 
I really hate it. And I, I mean, I get it, but I, and, and so I'm, I'm an adult and I'm going to be the, I'm going to be adult about it and say, yeah. fine, but she should be thing. able to go to parlor if she wants, but. Uh, I really, but I'm vibing what you're saying about we're so a value. Like as a society, we don't want to come down and say like, this is wrong. This is right. We've moved in this last, like, I mean, maybe. Mm, I'm not trying to rush the conversation, but this is a good segue in my opinion. Oh, we're going to segue. But maybe in the, I'm going to wrap this up, but maybe in the nineties, we started sliding down this scale where it's sort of like, well, you know, you know, what about the other side? Let's hear different opinions. You know what I mean? Like we started moving to the point where it's like, now everyone is so paralyzed about everything. It's like, I can say whatever I want and I should I'm entitled (laughs) to find an audience. Like, where is my audience? And if I don't have one, there should be a platform where I can reach the most base, disgusting, horrible people possible. Uh, And no one stops to think, wait, do I want to reach the most base, horrible? It's just like, there's money to be made. Yeah, You know, there's access to be had. You've been changed. You have been changed by your your audience. (laughs) No, right? Your audience is leading you around. Anyway, speaking of segues, uh, and speaking of media, Jason, why don't you set up the second topic? Yeah, so um, Trisha shared this article with us, How Finland Starts Its Fight Against Fake News in Primary Schools. It's in The Guardian. And I think the headline doesn't quite do the article justice, as is often the case. What I would say I found so interesting about it is that Finland is really taking a comprehensive approach as a country at all levels, yes, starting in primary school, but all the way up into the government to fight the various forms of disinformation, that is things that aren't true, but maybe without any malintent, misinformation, things that are deliberately untrue, and malinformation, things that may be true, but are wielded in such a way as to cause harm to others. I read it and I'm just like, it really moved me. I mean, Finland recognizes that these things, disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation are existential threats to democracy. And frankly, I'm not sure I would have even understood or believed that until, you know, our most recent presidency leading up to the capital insurrection. But they've recognized like this is an existential threat to a democracy. You cannot have all of these alternative truths and lies and deceits going on. And so they are just approaching it at every level. And it's not that there's not pushback. They've got their own far right people fighting it. Um, But, you know, we've talked a little bit about this topic before. Here I see for the first time a model that like, wow, this is how you could really do it. You know, in in our country where we may not have shared values at this point. You know, I'd love to hear from you two. Is there a way we could really take a collective approach to deal with this issue, which is clearly like an enormous threat right now, today in our country. I yield my time to the person who has a master's degree in this. So true. Oh my God, you did not. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do. You have a literal degree in this topic. So please. Well, you know, I've always been concerned about how people process information. How do you um, make sense of the world? How do you judge what's good, what's bad? How do you arrange um, your life in like alignment with your values? All of those kinds of things. But to Jason's point, we all have to kind of agree about the nature of existence. We have to agree that the sky is blue. We have to agree that the world is round. We have to agree about so many kind of key, what I want to call facts 
And now we live in an environment in which those things are not obvious or clear anymore. You need, you need that ground. You need that ground in order for you to exist together. And so one of the things that has always been intriguing for me when I was younger is kind of the media literacy conversation, which is the idea that information that came across your TV screen, that came across your ear, is just as vital as what as, as information that you traditionally receive from like say a newspaper or a book. And that you had to deconstruct that message. Like you had to understand that it was how it was put together. We've all put together, we've all written. So we understand that you have to arrange words in a certain way for it to make sense. But a lot of people are not actually producers of news. They're not producers of video. They're not producers. So they really don't understand the construction process. They don't understand that every single piece of it is a construction. And I remember when I didn't understand that, because I all thought, I thought these things were sort of accidental. Like I remember watching an ad for McDonald's. And they, um, and it was, this was a part of your media literacy education. What they did was they had the producer talk over the McDonald's ad. And let me tell you, it was mind blowing. Every single decision. They're like, this kid should have a cherubic face. Cherubic, but kind of whimsical. And his hair should (laughs) fall this way. No, like every decision was a deliberate decision because they understood that 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 each piece that you saw was going to have a psychological impact on you. Like, remember that? You ever, there was a book I read once that deconstructed car commercials. Mm Mm-hmm. I never watched a car commercial the same day, the same way. You ever notice that in some certain car commercials, the road is wet? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. absolutely um, intentional. Like depending on the kind of car, like whether it's night or day, who's in the car, where the car's going, in which direction the car is moving, right? From like the top left of the screen to the bottom right or whatever. It's, it was fascinating the amount of energy that people put into the messaging um, it's so constructed. One last thing, and then I'm going to yield the rest of my time to you, Trisha. No, um, no, it's fine. I remember Monsters Ball. Remember that movie, Holly Berry's Monster Ball? Oh, yeah. I read mm-hmm. an entire article that deconstructed a single scene in which mm-hmm. Holly Berry goes to the freezer to get ice cream. You know? And just this really opened my eyes to Hollywood and TV. Like, it is, she got chocolate ice cream and ate it with a white plastic spoon. And you would just watch that and be like, whatever. But the the article was like, you know, an intern had to get ice cream. The intern had to ask the director or someone, what kind of ice cream should I get? And there was an answer for that. It wasn't just get whatever, because that's not how movie sets work. And they were just deconstructing like, there was like, there was like a message about the interracial relationship in the movie and it was played out in the ice cream. And I was like, this can't be real. But then when he broke down how decisions get made on the set, of course it was real, you know, because like, was it a metal school? Is it a plastic spoon? Someone had to make that decision. And if you are not savvy in deconstructing these sort of sub messages, it just rolls over you. It just rolls over you. Not uselessly. Not that it doesn't have an effect on you. It just rolls over you and you are not questioning it. Um, to go back to your question, uh, Jason, can we do something large scale? Yeah, we can. Other countries do. Finland, for sure. Our, you know, Canada, our friends to the north, they have media literacy in elementary school, too, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. They teach it from very young how to deconstruct commercials. You know, that kind of thing would be an absolute sin in America. Yeah, I mean, because and so to your question about what does this mean for this 
current moment, like you could actually deconstruct a new segment. Like you could say to yourself, well, is, what's accurate here? What is, um, what are the tools that are being used in this commercial? How are they zooming in on, or in this um, ad? Like, how are they zooming in on the camera? How, which, which images did they choose to show? Like all of those pieces are really essential tools for you to have about this current media environment. And we've never focused on that. And I think that's why people are kind of confused and are easily swayed because that's deliberately what they do. They're swaying you. They've, they've chosen the right music to that effect. I mean, yeah. all of it is a part of it. And so I think that that's what I remember understanding. And we talked a little bit about that in the last show when we were talking about like a Oprah show and deconstructing that and how I felt. And we felt a certain way because of how Oprah was reacting. That's deliberately done by her. That's why she's successful yeah. at her um, at the medium, right? So what do and we so do about think, that though? Like I think you have to let people know that these things are built. They are built up and they mean things. They are so if you watch an ad, it means things that the ad has nowadays, you can see it. It means things that an ad has a black woman and a white man. Like that's a deliberate choice being made, mm -hmm. right? It's not, there's, you know, so like those little kind, those are little signals that we're giving about what we're okay with, what the cultural values, all of those kinds of things. It's just why people fight so hard to see things being representational because we know subconsciously we're giving information about the world. Mm -hmm. So when you hear someone call something news, news has a definition. People are literally losing family members because of Fox News. When I think about right now what Congress and President Biden are focused on, and I think they're focused on the right thing, so this is not a critique, but I really do think that there should be an aggressive effort to attack misinformation and malinformation. <laughs> I think it's it's absolutely critical, and it's really after reading this article and, again, getting a vision for like what it could look like, um, because I think a lot of the energy right now is move things left and you know and again really important things i don't disagree with them but like the fundamental thing to me is like fighting like right now i mean we have millions and millions of people who are completely seduced I and mean, where you started to say people losing their family to to fox news the you know people who in the last presidency believed whatever trump says is what's true which is certainly what he sought to do or whatever the prophecies of Q are, that that's truth. Like there needs, there will always be people who are crazy that think that way, but there's such a large contingent right now. I really think there needs to be, I don't whatever it is, a ministry of information, I, whatever you want to call it. Ministry of information stuff. sounds dark for a Dark, very dark. dark. I know, dark. Go, All right, it was just a first you, draft. No, but I think that's really important, right? Th that idea of a gov of the government controlling information like maybe as americans that already Chafer i'm not that. saying controlling i'm not saying controlling and that's not what finland's doing it is it's individualized it's, it's, it's arming individuals with the ability to understand and deconstruct and get to the truth the, the, because remember what do we say what do we, we know that the reason why we're here is the 24-hour news cycle mm -hmm. right it's the need to fill time mm -hmm. And not just news, but news is particularly challenging because news is now entertainment. You maybe cannot put certain things in the marketplace, right? News probably should not yeah, inhabit the marketplace. Back here. 
That's what it is. Like lots of things shouldn't be in the marketplace. Well, I mean, this is the challenge, right? Because the market responds to certain levers, right? The market is, I mean, that's why you have people going down a YouTube hole, right? It's like if they, and let's be honest, these platforms are constructed and built on that model. Like what is popular is true. And that's how these models work. It's like they count on your eyeballs and they count on your clicks. And if your clicks are responding to sort of triggers, then that's what you're getting. That's what you're always going to get. And at some point in time, you need something. I think we should look at the concepts of things like libel and slander and think about expanding them. Like if you say something that's not true intentionally and it causes harm, or you say something that is true, but you do it in such a way that it causes harm. I mean, this gets back to, you know, trying to impeach Trump for what he did, but like on a more massive scale, like we were able to look at the law and say, and again, I'm not talking about controlling information. It's if you tell people that something that you know is not true, and then they go burn down a house or kill someone or hurt someone, like you are accountable, like you will be penalized. I think that's one thing we really need to do and do aggressively. We, we had this conversation a couple of weeks back, well, a couple of episodes back um, about, yeah, these levers already exist. However, they are to protect people's property and ability to make money, such as like, you know, the Dominion and Smart Smartmatic voting right. machine companies yeah. are suing various conservative megaphones because they've ruined their, <laughs> ruined. They're making the claim that those business have been ruined because of Donald Trump and his surrogates claims of voter fraud. And the fact that these machines are cheating and not working like th- those exist, but like, I mean, again, like they're suing because they are, their claim is that we're losing our ability to make money. I think media literacy, the kind of media literacy I'd like to see would go beyond sort of making him money and just be like, you know, does this information make us worse as a society? Like, is this just damaging? I think those are hard. I think those are hard hard to evaluate. It's hard to evaluate. But but resting just on the money thing, I don't think is, I don't, it doesn't go far enough, especially in this medium. No, it doesn't go far enough. That's what I'm saying. I think we need to look at those things and figure out how to expand them to recognize that harm is being done, perhaps in more abstract ways than we're used to, sometimes in Mm -hmm. more concrete ways. But Tricia, like you started to say, like, I... It's a backstage issue. Remember backstage? Remember, um, remember that's why we lost the voice, the village voice is because the village voice is back page had a lot of really dodgy advertising and that's how they supported themselves. Mm-hmm. And that became a big issue. I mean, I for think some, one of the yeah. things for some, right. And, you know, and, and, but that's how newspapers like that existed. That's how they paid folks, right. Mm-hmm. Is through the ads and the ads became seen as a, in a particular light. One of the things I think is noteworthy about media literacy, and this is why I go back to it, is that it says you have to understand how a thing works. And I think that people don't understand that when you go on someplace like a Facebook, the way the algorithms are constructed behind the scenes, it is not organic. And so to my mind, that's a, that's a useful education that needs to happen for people. Like, just like I had to learn that an ad was really deliberately put together, you need to understand how you end up seeing a thing come across your feed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you understand the mechanism of that, you understand a lot more and you actually are in a little bit more control because you can decide, oh, I'm not going to be, a, I can't, because for me, I'm like, I don't take news from Facebook. Like, mm-hmm. I know that, like, it doesn't, news doesn't exist and work in that, in that space because it's about 
it, it doesn't, it's not about truthfulness. It's not about any of those things. And so once you kind of know that you can put things in its place. And that to me feels like we have done a disservice to people by not actually arming them with the right information because people know, people parse that all the time, right? We pass by newspapers at the checkout stand and we know to, which ones to ignore, it's re- but it's been made very, very difficult in, in this media environment to make yeah. that, that distinction. Trisha, I, I mean, look, I agree with everything you're saying. I think the challenge is like, when I think about, I, I don't know how you how we promote media literacy more strongly in schools. I mean, this is where it gets challenging looking at Finland. Finland has a national education system. We, had, we do when not. We did it. When I worked at the Center for Media Literacy many, many moons ago, what we had to do was we had to count on individual teachers and yes. individual, we had to solicit them and say, do you want to teach this? And that's how we did it because we didn't have a national curriculum. Yeah. And but, I'm all for that. Anything like that. Um, it's just because of our ridiculous approach to education. A, it's very hard but to do. But in wrapping this up, Jason, this is a culture issue. The reason yeah. why this works in Finland, and you know, because I've I've said this before to both of you, probably off the podcast, whenever we compare ourselves to Scandinavia, I'm always like, okay, everyone, like the, the differences between yeah. our countries and our societies are so stark. You know, it's it's not a one a direct one to one comparison. No, no. Um, it's just the underpinnings of our society won't allow something like media literacy to really flourish. The because truly, if media literacy did flourish and everyone really understood what media was trying to do. I don't want to be dramatic, but society would begin to change so radically and so quickly in a way that does not benefit the people who currently handle the levers of society. And because they handle the levers, that sort of thing just isn't going to happen uh, anytime soon in the way that it's happening in Finland or the way the three of us would enjoy. I think that we we have models of civic education this yeah. is a, this is like a civic issue, yeah, right? We is. have had models of civic education you, and we right. used to have a civic education curriculum across the board. It may be very different, but there was, I mean, this was like pre-Reagan, right? Well, why don't we have but, it anymore? Well, that was pre-Reagan. Reagan thought that civic education was a, a bad deal because people were being, you know, in and we're seeing it now. There's this idea. I think that's the same thing we see with going folks going around critical race theory. There's like an inculcation that's happening in education. That's why people are always fearful of education. That's why they always make the moves in the education space. But I do think that there is something to be said. Where else do we inform people outside of school? What's another major driver of information for, for young people? Their parents are a part of that, right? Their family. Yeah. I would used to say their community, but again, people's communities have moved online. I'm not just talking about pandar- pandemic. It's different. Era. Yeah. Like boys and girls clubs and those kinds of those things. Sorts Churches of things just don't have the kind of sway for young people. They're right. not organizing or receiving information from those things anymore. It's moved online. Yeah. And as it's moved online, it's become more monetized and more mm-hmm. advertiser based. And th- that's what I'm saying. Like, I love this idea. More broadly, I love the idea of like a national education imperative, even not even movement, but like an imperative. I also know that I live in a country that sort of thing is very unlikely to happen. Um, so my options are sort of grin and bear it or move to Finland. <laughs> no, 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 no. We can't have a podcast where we end it that way. I do- <laughs> <laughs> there's, some, there's, some, there's some levers that we have, right? Remember, do we still have children's hour, Jason? I'm counting on you as the parent here. Things that you can't show at eight o'clock at night. No, children's hour has become 
children's programming on completely different channels. Channels. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing. It. That was a huge thing when I was in the early days of, of media course. literacy. Yeah. Was like you couldn't do certain things at a certain time. And the idea of licensing, there had been another environment. So there isn't any reason why it couldn't return in in some ways. Like you'd have to agree that certain things are happening in the media environment. Well, okay. And we'd have to offer that up as like a, we'd have to say, you cannot call yourself news unless you are doing this thing, right? Which is why there's a subtle thing that Fox does where it calls itself an entertainment network, yeah. right? So we have to really, like, we'd have to really push on those levers. Like there's some existing things. It's true. It's almost like, it's almost like a warning label on a pack of cigarettes, right? Mm-hmm. Like what you're about to watch is not based on fact or something. It's dramatization, like SNL. Like in this, wrapping, is, this is like an SNL skit. <laughs> in wrapping this up, like you're right, we can't just leave it like this. I mean, the only <laughs> optimism I can I, I have around this topic is that like, given the way that the media environment has evolved so fast in the 20, last 20 years, I think it is going to demand a, it's going to demand a new kind of literacy from people. Just like computers being introduced to us in the first introduced a new kind of literacy. Like it's it's not cute or in vogue or even really practical for people to be like, I don't do computers anymore, which is something that you heard a lot in the past. Yeah. You know, if this if this vaccination rollout shows us anything, you, you literally cannot afford to be computer illiterate. So I think maybe we're moving into a phase where people literally cannot afford to be media illiterate. And again, to reference the vaccinations again, like this is life and death. And some people are getting the information, like I said at the top of the show, like, this is bad. It's going to turn into a lizard person. Like, it's going to make you ill, like all these other things. Like, we're going to make a media environment of haves and haves nots. And the people, thanks, Darwin, but the people who are able to find out a way to exist in this environment and parse out the poison media from the good media, those people will thrive and everyone else will degenerate. But their audience- kill the people who thrive. Their Ow. audience, the way that we do wow. this is their audience, as you're listening to Chris tell us where we're going to end up, just do know that you have trusted sources. That's the thing I think is so important. People continue to have trusted spaces. Now, what you have to do is you have to go to those trusted spaces and engage them. Just like with vaccines, if you hear your minister talk to you about it, you will do it. If you hear your priest, if you hear, you have, there are trusted folks still. We still live in, we're still human beings and we still have these audiences amongst, um, amongst us. The problem is, you know, some maybe disinformation gets around yeah. in that space as well. But I do think that we have targets. We have some yeah. spaces. No, that that's a good that point. Labor. You could strategically target influencers, educate, like there, you're right. There is a, there is an approach that could be effective here. It won't be a hundred percent effective, but it could be quite effective. Let's see. All right. Good deal. Let's move into media recommendations, which is something that you've seen here, read or experienced that you think other people should see here, read or experience. Jason. I would like to share a novel called Bloom by an author named Kenneth Apple. If I'm saying his last name, right. My son was assigned this book in the sixth grade. And Chris, you've heard my son talk about Fortnite. He will talk for 45 minutes and tell you everything you've ever not wanted to know about it. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't talk about much that way. And when he started reading this book, he would not shut up about it. And I was like, I was so excited. It's the first in a series, a trilogy. And so I went and read it. I often read the books he's reading and I loved it. Now I will tell you this. It says it's for like nine to 12 year olds. He's 11 I thought it was scary as hell. I had to take breaks from the book. I was like, 
weren't you afraid of this book? He was like, what are you talking about, dad? This book's fine. But it, it is a fantastic book. I've already started the sequel. There it you. And it's yeah. sci-fi, which I don't typically like sci-fi. It is so good. All right, everyone, check it out. Trisha? I'm reading a book called We Do This Till We Free Us by Miriam Kaba. Abolitionist Organizing and Transforming Justice. I love it. I'm still in the midst of it and I'm enjoying it. It's a series of essays. Miriam is an organizer and educator and um, she has been at the forefront of the abolitionist movement for a very, very long time. And what is, and it's meant as a kind of like introduction to abolition for folks who are just getting used to this term. And I, by abolition, I mean prison abolition. Mm-hmm. What she does is she basically gets you beyond that thing that always happens when someone talks about prison abolition. What about the rapists? What about the this? You know, she's like, you always, people always end up with the worst case scenario. And she's always like, but I basically let you know those worst case scenario continue to exist now. We haven't, we don't, we don't solve raping, raping. We don't do any of those things. Mm -hmm. So what would it be like if we considered an entirely different world such that we, more people are free more people are not trapped in prisons, mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things. So it's just, it's just a wonderful invitation. I have to say it's a, it's a mind changer. Like it's just, you're moving down this road and then you realize that you have the police in your mind yeah. and you yourself have to excavate the police in your own mind. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's nice. I really like it. It's um, each chapter is a different, is a different essay. So you can kind of like parcel through it, let it noggle in your brain and then come back to it. I highly recommend it. I think she's got a really great approach and um, her Twitter feed is locked, but um, she's also um, Twitter as at prison culture. And what I like about her is she says, hope is a discipline, which I love. Cool. And um, I like she said that. she, she said she read it someplace and she really liked it. Like it's a thing you actually have to practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, that's really, really useful framing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anyway, so I'm a huge fan of the book and I invite you all to read it and it's wonderful. Awesome. Uh, I'm also going to recommend a book. This is great. Ooh, we're, we're all we've been, we've been lockstep lately, uh, but I'm going to recommend a graphic novel and it's an old one. I Like I mentioned earlier, I've rediscovered my public library and Ooh. I don't remember why, but I picked up the graphic novel, The Walking Dead. Is that There's, what the movie is based on? Yeah, so Robert, Robert Kirkman wrote The Walking Dead years ago and it was a comic book uh, that uh, was ran for like 150 issues um, over the course of like 10, 11 years. The very popular TV show was based on it. And I don't know, I picked it up, I read it. Uh, what can I say about The Walking Dead? First of all, do not read it right before you go to bed. I was, I have it by my like bed. <laughs> I have it by my bed and I was like, oh, Chris, you're an adult. Like just do a little bit of reading, go to bed. I have, have been having weird dreams. I need to really stop. The Walking Dead is about a group of people who try to survive after the literal zombie apocalypse. And like so many of these stories, Kirkman's thing is sort of like, uh, Listen, um, it's not the monsters, the zombies that you have to worry about. The zombies mm-hmm. are ancillary in every story, in every frame. Like you can see the humans talking, and then in the in the background of the frame, there's just zombies sort of like around. Because the idea was that, like, you know, humans can be monstrous. Like that's what you really have to look out for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it makes a lot of points. But the thing that I like about this book so much is that um so much characterization happens 
uh, in this book. And for a comic book, for a graphic novel, sometimes mm-hmm. the pages are just filled with text bubbles of what these characters are saying, expressing how they feel, what they think, and people age and grow and change in their opinions over the course of it. Honestly, as a writer, I don't know how he keeps it straight unless they're all based on real people. <laughs> uh, I, I, I thought that. I was like, maybe these are all just real people that he put in the comic book. It's really kind of cool. I know graphic novels aren't everyone's thing. Like, I don't know. I'd say if, if you want to check it out, check it out. I've recommended a number of graphic novels uh, on this podcast. And I will say, like, it's less dense than The Watchmen. If you pick that up and you were turned off by it, this is just a story about people trying to survive. The tagline on the back of the book, it's just really been sticking with me. It's like in the world of the dead, we have to finally start living. Because even though it's called The Walking Dead, the reference isn't to the zombies. It's to, it's to us. Yeah. Oh, that's deep. Yeah. That's deep. Yeah. Oh, really, look at really you. Cool. So, so check it out. Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman. Mm. All right, everyone, that's it. That's it. I have to let you know that I am going to Mexico tomorrow. So I need you all to deal with that. I'm very excited. I haven't left the country since this thing began. And uh, I am really looking forward to testing my immunity. Oh, that sounds like a... <laughs> like how you say it. I don't Wish know if that's luck. what I want to do, but Wish all right. <laughs> luck. Good luck. So all right. And, um, so, yeah, when, I, when we come back, I'll tell you all about my various misadventures trying to get out of the country and, more importantly, get back in. So maybe I'll be doing, maybe I'll be doing this call internationally next week. But uh, until then, bye, everybody. Bye. bye.